Erwin Lindén. I don't know the answer. Me neither. I'm really, I'm serious. Pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast and maybe change your life or someone else's. Okay, so Erwin Lindén, warmly welcome to this episode of Outsmart the Pain. Thank you so much. And I just realized we're speaking English, so I had to turn that on. <laughs> this will be very interesting. You're a physiotherapist as a trade. And uh, I did speak with a physiotherapist some episodes ago, Helian Hallström. Yeah, I know Helian uh, by reputation. Yeah, and we talked about oh, it. And uh, some people might think, oh, here's another physiotherapist. Can't can't you find any other occupation? Or what is this? But actually, you and I met when I talked in your pod. And before we introduce you, uh, why don't you start telling us about your pod, which is in Swedish? Sure, yeah, love to. Um... Well, me, I'm hosting a podcast called Tyngre Rehab with, together with three friends. One is a chiropractor and the others are also physiotherapists. And we've been running this podcast as a cooperation with a, a company called Tyngre in Swedish. You can find it on tyngre.se, which is basically just an online platform for everything that is training and exercise, I think. And they have a pool of podcasts we run the rehab podcast they have for example they have the dietitian podcast they have crossfit podcast they have a, a powerlifting podcast they have a all sorts of podcasts and we are supposed to be the knowledgeable ones uh, with some academic weight of some sort very interesting when we talked at first, you said that you came from Tyngre Rehab, and, and the translation is like heavier rehab. Yeah. And I, I had no idea that it was because this company is called Tyngre or heavier. So I thought the pod was about heavier rehab, and I was like, now what in earth is heavier rehab? And I, I mean, I'm doing rehab with patients and I had no idea what heavier rehab is so I had to start googling and see if what, what did I miss during my education <laughs> not to be completely ignorant but I understood that it was actually the the name of it it's very interesting that you say that you want to have a kind of academic view to it because being knowledgeable and having science behind what you do is of course very important but also I guess you could meet a lot of criticism because you can always use science for your own purposes that you kind of decide what is right and then you use the reports that you find fit your solution. So my first question actually is 
how are you doing with the academic part? Do you find that people like it or do you get a lot of criticism or tell us? That's, that's a very uh, um, burning question. We finished a four-part episode like series on evidence, just the term evidence and evidence-based practice, because we wanted to acknowledge some of the criticism that we've gotten. Uh, I think people say we sound a little bit like evidence riders on high horses. It's as if uh, everything has to have a randomized controlled trial behind it. Otherwise, we refute it or or just throw it in the bin. I think it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but but I, I really get it. And that's why we wanted to do this part on what we, what we think about evidence and how we in the group think about science and how knowledge is made. And we tried to do something with the term of evidence. Just to uh, tell the listener, everything has to be randomized, of course. Uh, you can't choose which people you want to have in a study, for instance. It has to be randomized and controlled. Uh, for instance, if you have uh, a doctor that gives you a medicine, the doctor shouldn't know which medicine he or she is giving you, and you shouldn't know what medicine the doctor is giving you, and so on. So it really has to be RCTs uh, randomized and many times it's hard to get those studies because you need a huge amount of people to do studies and it's not uh, very easy to do those studies and therefore there has been some criticism about people who say that the only thing that works is if you read RCTs and decide uh, because there aren't RCTs for everything that you ask for. So I guess that was kind of criticism. But how did you respond to that? Did you cry in the corner or did you think that they're all wrong or, or was it some truth to it? You're very open saying this. I know many researchers that wouldn't <laughs> even say that they got criticized. Uh, so I really admire you for saying it. But now when you started it, you have to <laughs> keep telling <Yeah>. me <laughs> yeah yeah sorry and I, I i think i started a long answer but i'm trying to wrap it up uh, uh one of the reasons why i like criticism is because uh, one of the main objectives at least from my part for the podcast that we're doing is uh to promote for people listening uh, a, a a sense of positivism or encouragement to go out in the clinic. We're also very dedicated towards pain and reaching out with uh, knowledge about pain, just like you yourself. I'm very passionate about that. And I think the podcast is for the listeners, not for us. One thing which has a little bit with me also having a foot in the clinic, I have a real hard time being paternalistic of some sort. It's very easy for me or us sitting in a, in a podcast with the platform uh, and the opportunities that we have and sit, sit there and say stuff. At the same time, sitting in a clinic with a patient, I have some sort of power and I, I would not like to use that power wrongly. You do acknowledge that you do have a lot of power but also responsibility yeah. uh, because of this. I remember once when I was going to a hospital to have a lecture on pain before I went into the hospital there was a, a patient outside uh, obviously calling his wife and I overheard him that he told his wife what the doctor had said mm -hmm. and I could hear how much truth the 
patient thought that he had received. And I knew from the small things I heard that a lot of it was speculating from the doctor because mm. I, I knew a little bit about those things. It wasn't about pain, it was something else. And I felt that immediately if the doctor knew what he or she plants into the minds yeah. of patients, it's so powerful. And, and if we use it in the right way, it's uh, fantastic you know to turn someone around and you of course know this you work with these patients every day so so you you feel the responsibility which of course is very admirable how big is your your podcast how many listeners do you have do you know that there was a while since we had some numbers and we're up to about 170 episodes now still i know there's been several reports of like 10,000 listeners a month Mm. We're not the podcast who most people listen to uh, among the pool of podcasts that the, this company Tingu has, but we have a, a certain crowd, mm. especially clinicians and mostly physiotherapists, chiropractors, and the napperpaths that we have here in Scandinavia and students uh, from the same professions. I guess if we want a lot of listeners, we could start uh, physiotherapy and some serial killers. <laughs> then, we, then we would get a lot of listeners. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself then. Uh, who are you? What do you do apart from podding? Apart from podding and also apart from being a physiotherapist, you mean? Well, we could start with the physiotherapist thing. What kind of company do you work at? What do you do? Which people uh, do you meet? Right now, I work at a back surgery clinic. It's called Ryggsjurgis Centrum, where I basically meet mostly people with uh, troublesome back and neck pain and ridiculous disorder, meaning uh, pain in an arm or leg, like nerve type of pain. So that's the, the caseload I see now, but I've only been there for a year or so. I'm currently on parental leave. And I have two small boys, one three years old, and one is gaining on one year. So I'm home mm. with the soon-to-be one-year-old. The best part of life. Wow. It is, and still, it's the hardest job I've had yet. No, Isn't it? Huh? No doubt. But uh, it's it's meaningful. I'll jump right into the hard question, since you're working at the back surgery clinic, and uh, I tend to meet people who either wants to get their uh, back surgered upon or yeah. they have had surgery and they didn't get well and of course that's why they're seeing me I'm, I do not see everyone that gets well so I know that I'm a little bit biased of course but seeing these patients and having a pain doctor on this side who says that you shouldn't get surgery unless you really need to uh, what is your opinion about patients with back pain who want surgery do you see them before and you try to do the best before and then they get surgery or do you see them afterwards uh, when they still have pain or is it like rehab after mm. surgery in, in yeah. what stage do you see them and what is your opinion about surgery and back pain okay so i'll uh start with the first one my role at the current employment i have is to uh, do 
assessment with back surgeons, which is like two days a week, I, I sit down with an orthopedic back surgeon and see patients who's been referred for the question of surgery or not. Hmm. Basically, it's a very much a yes or no encounter. We can talk a lot about that. I, I really love these encounters because for me, they hold a lot more than that. The session is 45 minutes and I have all 45 minutes, but I have the first half hour myself and the last 15 minutes with the surgeon. It's a very interesting appointment and usually people who come have had their problems for quite a while. The other part is basically taking care of the people who are enrolled for surgery at our clinic. Uh, I have like one day a week where I just go where they lie after they've had surgery and they do mostly post-operative information, talk a lot of stuff about how you should uh, act the following months and also the rest of your life. I, I love putting in a lot of more about pain. I try to use the biopsychosocial approach in all of this. And then I have insurance patients with, which come with back or neck pain of some sort. Mm. That's my employment. What my opinion on back surgery is, I think I had one before I started where I personally had a deeper dive into uh, pain in a way which takes you pretty far away from the biomedical view. I was quite skeptical, I think, but Working there for a while, I've softened up and it's been a very important place for me to be, to come back and not leave the biomedical model because I would say it benefits some people. The right person with the right pain type and presentation, it could be very, very important. But it's my opinion on the surgery itself, I can't have any real opinion because I'm not a surgeon. The surgeons at this place, they're great at their job and they, and they have the Swiss binder, the registry, which is a very useful tool uh, for communicating with patients also who are presenting a type of pain problem where a surgery might be beneficial for them, where they have troublesome anatomy and also a, a very, very certain pain presentation. I think you, you can't be lazy in these uh, assessments and these, uh, in the judgment of these. And I think some, not at our clinic, but I think in the world could be lazy. In, in one sense, I know that the listener says, well, of course, he says not at my clinic because that's where you yeah. work and you would, well, maybe not in Sweden, but if you would say this in the, United States, you will get sued if you said yeah. something wrong. But I must tell the listeners that I know about this clinic and I know the co-workers there and they are very, very professional, uh, trying to be at the front uh, line of, of both surgery and knowledge. They obviously employ very good people like you, Irvin, oh, <laughs> and they, you. Would, they wouldn't do that if they didn't have this point of view. I have referred patients there where they have actually said, no, this is not surgery. Mm. And they have also done surgery on patients where the result has been splendid. And I also actually had relative got surgery and uh, you know I wrote a book called Outsmart the Pain and after yep. the surgery they said well you didn't quite outsmart this pain but the surgeon did <laughs> so yeah. uh, I need to be humble as well but as you say in the world and in other clinics and of course uh, on a 
personal basis, uh, depending on who's the surgeon, there are surgeons and clinics that do this too easily and yeah. who actually do surgery after surgery after surgery. And we get the patients who had four surgeries and think that the fifth will make them better. Mm. And that just makes me so sad. So it was kind of an ugly question for me to ask you because you work at a, a back surgery clinic, but I think you answered <laughs> very wisely. And I'm very happy that you say that you try to bring the biopsychosocial view on pain because that's what it is. It's not removing a painful generator from inside your spine. It's so much more. Talking about pain, uh, what kind of results do you see from patients having pain when they come to you? Is pain a big problem or is it just, uh, oh, I have some pain uh, because of my back or uh, what do you think about pain as a consequence? Does it do a lot to the people you have met? Mm -hmm. If I would just answer that question from my time spent at the, the back surgery clinic, which been a little bit over the over a year, uh, I, I would still say it's pretty huge impact the pain have on people. I bet of all the lectures or or talks you've done you, you always introduce with like okay how big is the burden of pain in the, in the world well it's huge so we know that uh, well but um, it's really interesting to see the different type of pain burdens that come in people who have a really troublesome and long history of of pain and they are at a really bad point in life, a lot of them. Uh, but a lot of people who come from the insurance company can come in and, and say, yeah, well, uh, I called them last week and I had a tweak in my back, but it's it's gone now. It's a big contrast, so to speak. And, and uh, talking about insurance patients, I, I think that the view could, at least in Sweden, be that they are getting a better deal because they get quicker uh, care and they don't wait as long as other patients and it's yeah. a, a luxury problem they have paid a, a yearly fee and as soon as they get a sprain in their back they go and see a, a, a specialist yeah. and of course that could be the case but uh, also to be honest uh, and I say this after the election in Sweden, so there's no political agenda here. But if you actually meet someone who started to get pain and they are working and their employer is sending them to this clinic and you could actually turn something around so they can stay at their work and give tax money to Sweden and so on, that would actually be a very wise point to meet the patients just before they get sick leave and get worse and get the, that bottom of life which many patients do when they wait a long time mm -hmm. so in a sense i feel that both worlds should cooperate in a way but maybe you don't think so but but i think it, it does have a place to quickly help people who still are working mm, i totally agree some people really needs a lot of help really really need a lot of help some people need to just ensure that there's nothing wrong with their back and you're fine to uh, continue even with some pain or uh, doing something uh, easy or, or getting a pill from one of the doctor colleagues and just feeling in, back in control I, I think that's a big part trying to assess who 
of the patients that come in who still has control of their life and their pain problem and who's lost it and who's who is about to lose it. I think we see a lot of suffering and where the suffering starts to grow when the control stops to exist in their life. You are four guys in this pod. Do you have different interests that you interview different people depending on your interest or is that also randomized? <laughs> I think we have a common interest in talking to other people who's uh, allergic to bullshit. Uh, we, and we have <laughs> I a, love that one. Since we all work in the musculoskeletal field and the rehabilitation field, it's a very weird environment. We had this four part of talking about evidence and how we look at it and how we try to understand it because it's uh, very different uh, from what field you're working in. It's very different from your field or the back surgeon's field and our field in different ways or for example my wife who's working at the intensive care unit evidence there is a bit different than how to be evidence-based in our field it's a very do whatever you want uh, as long as patients keep coming back or something some people are more reflective on their practice on their ethics and morals or what evidence what they're doing and mm. We have that in common. Sometimes probably we are too reflective and we think too much, but we all have that in common that we take our jobs very seriously. And I, I love the quotes and it's a guy called Mick Thacker who says something like, if we are to help people with pain, we need to be very, very serious about what we're doing because it's a very, very big problem. Something like that. Hmm. I remember a funny story about uh, it was about evidence and there was a study where they looked upon back surgery, physical exercise and cognitive therapy. And they asked one of the surgeons who was in the study, they said that, okay, we know that if you do physical exercise, a third of the patients get better. If you do cognitive therapy, about a third of the patients get better and if you do surgery about a third of the patients get better <laughs> and then they ask the surgeon since you know this that exercise and cognitive therapy makes a third better why do you still do surgery and the surgeon said because a third get better. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. I know that you've done a lot of pod episodes, uh, which are very interesting. And uh, a couple of episodes ago, I talked to Simon Curiosi, who has uh, a pod which is called Sick Facts. Yeah. I told him before that we could take some of your favorite subjects and talk about them. And I will actually pick a few things that you have been talking about because I can hear that you are very interested in these subjects. And then we'll just hit it from there. But I think it's very interesting for the listener as well. One of the things that you talked about was <laughs> why does it matter what the cause of your pain is? Yeah, uh, what, what you think 
your what is causing yes. your pain probably why, why is like why is that important or or what did you talk about there remember yeah we like getting philosophical and going meta and analytical about stuff some people say that we we live in a narrative uh, we are as humans we live in a story that's why we love good stories that's why we make movies and books and we love them and we've actually been a storytelling people before there were books and movies and all that stuff and that's how we remember things about ourselves and our past and what's meaningful and important and we also without probably knowing it we have a narrative in our lives and a narrative around things that that are important to us we had some papers that we just had read before that episode so we that we just want to talk about I, I don't want to get too much into it but it's really interesting when it comes to pain most people wants to understand things or wants a, an answer to why do i have pain and you accept different narratives some narratives clearly leads you either to more pain or less pain or more suffering or less suffering so that's why it's really interesting and it and it's it filled the narrative which you bring with you filters what you hear when you for example see health professionals and you listen to them or how you interpret signals from your body what people say to you or or what happens that's why it's really interesting do you think that you could get the wrong story from someone that that you start to tell people what their pain is due to and it's actually not right or you don't know if it's right and that kind of leads people into the wrong conclusion and they get sucked up into the pain uh, or, or what do you what do you think about the narrative absolutely i, I think um myself for example uh, i'm a worrier uh, I, i tend to worry I, i'm just like I'm, i'm like that that's how oh, I you am. worry not a warrior but no, a, no, warrior. No, a warrior uh, <laughs> okay i might huh? be a warrior also but i tend to worry easy uh, mm-hmm. it's just a trait i think that i have and uh, for example if i get a new pain i try to say okay why why does my knee hurt now when i walk mm-hmm. hmm, what's, what's that about oh i said and and, and then stuff starts rolling it kind of leads you either to a more vulnerable uh, narrative towards your body or a more uh what's the opposite of vulnerable it uh, blew my mind a couple of years back when i know that there's actually a feel that is narrative medicine and it's uh i i mm. and that that it's actually been taken seriously in, in scientific uh, realms it's um, mm. So I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I think the narrative, the story is so important, really. Uh, uh, it's great that you say this about uh, us being, you know, being in a story all the time. I, I usually say that w- when you have a story, it's it's always about uh, a hero. Uh, yeah. And then there's a guide, you know, like in Star Wars, we have Anakin and we have Obi-Wan Kenobi. And there's mm. always a villain. And if you think of the villain, uh, the bad guy being pain, uh, who is the hero? Who who is the one that is actually fighting the pain? Well, it is, of course, uh, the patient or the person with pain, of course. And then the guide should be us, the healthcare workers or relatives or whoever. But I think that the problem with the healthcare 
is that we often put ourselves as being the hero. We will yeah. fix this for you. And 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 for instance, when when I look at uh, clinics doing uh, advertising, it's not what you gain from uh, meeting us. It's what we are. We have had this clinic for 25 years. Well, the patient doesn't really care. Yeah. I just want to get better. <laughs> so I think that the story is so important and, and that we always should keep the hero or the central person being the one who is getting treated or is going to help themselves getting better. So the narrative is so important. On another note, uh, I might get some criticism for this, but uh, as you notice, the listener and you, I, I talk when something pops into my mind. You never know That's what. That's great. Yeah, but I actually saw, uh, it was like a children's book about fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's very good that you write a children's book about that because it, it could make you start talking about it if, if you have parents with f fibromyalgia of course but the story was about uh, a dad I think who had pain so he couldn't be out playing with his uh, child and so the story was something like uh, so when you see your dad having this pain Maybe you shouldn't go out and play with him. You could just sit in the sofa and watch TV or you could cuddle with him in bed. And and that is the wrong narrative in my mind. I mean, you, you need to get active if you do have pain, uh, whether it's fibromyalgia or something else. And you shouldn't be telling children or other people that this is a... Uh, a disease or a symptom where you need to rest. Of course, you need to pace and you need some rest sometime, but that's not the main thing about it. And that's also narrative that could. Yeah. Uh, the thought was excellent, uh, I think, to get children to know about this pain, but the narrative wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and but it was uh, a beautiful book, very well written, very nice images, and and uh, very well of that uh, society to do that. But I didn't like the context to be mm. honest but so the narrative is so important i really love that you brought this up i mean it, a lot of healthcare is like this isn't it i mean goodwill but we rarely take the time to look at what narrative does this goodwill hold most people want people to get better mm. and you do stuff interventions and, and all that but the narrative around it it's, it's rarely up on the counter mm. it's ra rarely investigated i love that i share that with you it's really important i had a, a previous episode with psychologist uh, Richard Wixell who said that usually you could have t two goals and and one is to get less pain and that is usually when you get less active and the other one is to be more active and have another life but that will maybe cause more pain and those two goals go in opposite directions often. You can't have both and you have mm. to kind of decide what you want. And it is completely fine to decide that you want to have a less active life because then you have less pain. Mm. We, of course, think that the other way is better. Uh, but, but it's so interesting to have those talks because sometimes even relatives say oh you shouldn't be doing that i can do that because that's yeah. you shouldn't be taking the stairs because you have pain you should take the elevator and and it's just because we want to be nice but maybe in the long run it isn't 
the right thing to do. You need to do more and to overcome some obstacles uh, rather than getting inactive, I guess, uh, in some cases. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, we could talk about that for ages also. But... <laughs> yeah, you also talked about something like uh, common sense, pain-related mm. fear and common sense. Now, that's a very big subject. Could you kind of explain what you are thinking about common sense and pain? What in earth are you talking about? There's big thinkers behind this. A couple of years back or a year back or so, I I've read some papers where they used a model uh, of someone named Leventhal, uh, the common sense model of self-regulation of health or something. They applied it on fear and pain-related fear and, and try to filter, okay, how does pain and pain-related fear uh, look through the common sense model? It's really interesting where fear becomes a very much common sense response to pain depending on a lot of factors uh, but, but what do you mean do you mean that you do have common sense and do the right things or do you think that you have common sense but it's not the right thing what are we uh, talking no, about uh, yeah sorry if you get a painful event and then suddenly you have pain somewhere and it persists of, of some sort and you try to do something uh, to get rid of it mm-hmm depending on the action you took, taking a pill or doing some exercise or whatever, did, did it have a positive effect on the pain or not? If it had a positive effect, yeah, well, of course you do it again. That's common sense. But mm. if you did some exercise and you still had pain or you had more pain, the common sense would be, oh, this is not good for me. Mm. What does it signal to you? And for most people, it, it is a... a signal of, of uh, danger usually tissue damage or pathology and, and it's it's ingrained in society it's a cultural narrative for example mm. uh, we talked about narratives and uh, so the common sense would be let's take it easy let's uh, rest or or not provoke this pain because that's probably doing me ill mm. in this model that's a common sense it's compared to Johan Vleien and uh, the fear avoidance model. I've had some trouble with the fear avoidance model. It's a good, great model, but it's also been, not by me, but greater minds uh, critique to be a little bit psychopathologizing. It's like getting fear with pain is just a sort of people, they're fearful. There are fearful people. People who get stuck in this fear avoidance coping strategy just needs to break it. Of course, they need to do it, but do they end up there because of a common sense relationship to pain? which could be adjusted or uh, at least to this is where the communication with the patient comes in. I think mm. it makes total sense that you haven't used your back now for eight weeks since you had tweaked it uh, and you've just been on your couch, not working because you're afraid of what it, what it will mean. Cause that's, that's your, just your normal natural uh, reaction to what you think is going on. Hmm. instead of this is a fear avoidance person bad coper no it 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 kind of fast builds up to a shame and blame game with oh yes uh which which Hmm. usually uh, is a silent part of a lot of healthcare encounters for pain patients you you are totally right and and even very 
stigmatic things like yeah. wanting opioids at the hospital and you yeah. you can't really send them home because they want to have more painkillers and you can't send them home with a lot of morphine and you think that the patient is if not addicted at least uh, wanting the morphine yeah. and and if you try to go a little bit deeper what are they afraid of well it's of coming home and why is that well because there they won't get the right pain treatment mm -hmm. it's not about getting the drug itself it uh, that they are left without pain treatment and we don't actually give them an alternative we just say you need to stop <laughs> and, and we don't even uh, explain it maybe we should have a little bit more common sense in in healthcare as well and try to see what the cause is uh, and not just do the blame game many times because then we won't understand the patients and they will come back maybe to another hospital next time because we didn't take care of them but it will still be the same problem at that hospital and if we could kind of help them to understand and we would understand them it would be much better i think um, and and also what you say about getting more pain and the common sense is then I shouldn't do it. Isn't that the thing with all physical exercise when you have persistent pain and we tell them to do exercise and it will hurt in the beginning and we yeah. need to tell them that because otherwise they will stop because this couldn't be good, could it? <laughs> it's a lot of talking and reasoning together. I just found this uh, common sense model there, uh, interestingly useful if you are interested in person-centered work <laughs> more mm. at least because i mentioned opioids i i usually say that when you quit opioids you will get pain just because you're quitting it's almost like a, an abstinence problem that you get more pain if you and mm. i would take morphine and stop we would get pain in our bodies so be prepared uh, mm. that doesn't tell you that the opioid is the right medicine it's just a normal reaction because the brain wants the opioid back but the common sense says that oh this works because when i quit it i get more pain <laughs> that's also common sense but it, yeah. it's wrong it's wrong yeah mostly <laughs> You also talked a little bit about the body's dose-response system. Oh, yeah. Now, <laughs> I don't know if, if that's even too deep. Dose-response, if we are into medical things, we have heard about dose and response many times. How would you explain this in the pain business for the listener? Mm. Yeah, it is a tricky one, and I've tried different models or ways of... Um just communicating that the body and the biological systems i take for example like pharmacology and taking medicines if you take too little of your blood pressure medicine you don't get an effect you take too much of it you faint because you get or you get side effects of the medicine you have to take the right amount and it's really great with pharmacology and pills because you don't have to do much more than getting your length and weight and and you should have a about an, a approximately this amount of pills or so. But when it comes to other 
uh, stuff where we don't have like equations to help us for example how much sleep you need or how much exercise or how many how much weight or repetitions you should do with just this single exercise here we're gonna have to try things out if you present a graph some people would just leave the room uh, but uh, <laughs> and some people it's good really it's a podcast we can't see graphs here <laughs> yeah but it's a u-shaped uh, u-shaped relationship and just getting people to understand that you can you can work with this for example for exercising if we start with this amount of exercising or this amount of activity doesn't need to be an exercise these are an exercise because you can say yeah you did three ten times three but if we say you, you go out walking you did it for five minutes uh, or uh, whatever but when you and, and then you notify no notice uh, your response did you have more pain did you have less pain or did you have equal to what you had before uh, great we can build on that we either uh, progress or regress the other part which is really important to to combined with the dose response understanding of biology is that it adapts if we dose things properly the body adapts that's why bones get harder muscles get stronger the cardiovascular system gets a, a more fit to do its job that's why we learn new languages so so that is actually a, a very very common question that i get is that okay you tell me to start do things and when i start do things i start to get pain in my knees mm. should i continue or should i rest and then start again should i continue to do my exercises while it hurts or should i stop when it hurts and wait until next day and do more mm. is that individual or could you give a general answer because i don't know the answer yeah <laughs> me neither i'm really i'm serious uh but yeah, yeah I, I really don't know the answer. Some people in my profession might disagree, but I think rehab is a process and getting people into process thinking. We have a culture, the quick fix culture. No, you won't get better tomorrow by exercising today. You might get, I don't know that, but your body takes some time to adapt. You develop this pain problem in a while and your body is uh, adapted to other stuff during this pain problem. It needs to be a conversation where uh, a key question for me is like, is this tolerable for you? I mean, I have pain in my back. Yeah. I've had back pain for 15 years. I'm pretty sure that my back pain is not because it's injured, because I have good days, I have bad days. Sometimes I have no pain. Sometimes I have really bad pain. Uh, I go do deadlifts. It's a type of exercise most people with back pain wouldn't do. But I go there and I sometimes I go there with back pain and I, I leave with more back pain after doing deadlifts. Sometimes mm -hmm. I go there and have... Uh, a lot of back pain and I leave with no back pain after do, doing deadlifts. Sometimes I try to bring this up and, and have this talk with the person, like what's tolerable for you? What, what does it mean? Like, does it, is, it still, is it still interesting or meaningful for you to do these exercises? There's an answer that the answer must be with the person who's experienced it. Is, does the uh, same go when you do physical exercise? Uh, is it better to do a lot on a short time uh, for instance that you get really 
Uh, I was going to say wasted, but that is completely wrong <laughs> word yeah, in that's English. That's another type of that, exercise. That's another, yeah. yeah, exactly. Should you do a lot so you get completely worn out? Or if you uh, lift weights that you get very tired in your muscles until you can lift anything for a short time, is that better? Or should you be out walking for one and a half hours so you don't get really tired, but you are doing it for a long time? Is that also individual or in terms of pain do you think it's better one way or the other uh very hard question um but that's which... good first that you said it's a hard question because if you said oh the the common the consensus is that then i would get a little bit disappointed because then i oh, yeah. lost something but tell us what, what your thoughts are let's say widespread generalized pain um it's really interesting. For example, uh, I have colleagues in in Dalarna who uh, who does uh, really really heavy powerlifting exercises with uh, people with fibromyalgia. Uh, people like it. Uh, it's easier for them because uh, there's very short amounts, the sh short time scales where they work out, which leaves them without the lactatic the acid that they usually. Mm -hmm. Uh, get very fast Mjölksyra uh, they, in Swedish yeah exactly mm -hmm. it's something about also feeling powerful there's a lot of stuff in working out and I uh, it's uh, so it's really hard I'd say when, when you have pain it's like what's tolerable for this person and do you find it important for you to be able to do this for example uh, do you really like walking this is this a form of exercise or physical activity you like yeah okay then you should probably continue with that and we also have so of course a lot of data that that tells us that this is really healthy for you even if you have pain uh, doesn't matter when it comes to do you like lifting weights does that make you feel good inside even though you have pain we can say that you don't hurt yourself doing it you might have more pain but it's not more dangerous for you than someone who doesn't have widespread generalized pain if you mm. don't have other comorbidities of course it's really dependent on the history of the person and what they're into physical activity history is very interesting to me what have you been doing i see some people who's developed persistent pain who's been athletes before they usually like doing strenuous exercise but a lot of people i see also who's developed persistent with generalized pain have no experience or relationship with physical activity at all that's a, a bigger exploratory journey the bad thing about a pod like this is that you can't see a picture and i have actually lost a lot of weight uh, here here good job yeah good job <laughs> yeah i i think i will actually have a pod just talking about that not because it was a, a special diet or anything because everyone can do it but a lot of uh, thoughts has gone through my brain during this time the only thing that i will mention here now is that i started out just being careful with counting my calories and things like that but then of course i didn't want to look like a, a drawn picture with uh, very small legs and arms so i needed to do some exercise and so i did some exercise where i had help uh, with a with a guy who knew a lot about these things 
and I started with this uh, I don't know what it's called in English uh, marklyft you know uh, yeah deadlift yeah. that was the deadlift yeah like you said I wasn't used to it and after a while I got pain in my back the first thing I thought uh, common sense was this is dangerous but yeah. he said that it's because you haven't done it uh, and you should even though you are a pain clinician exactly uh, talking about thoughts going through my head um, yeah. so what we did was you know just continue doing it then we could add some other exercises that actually does things with other muscles the pain went away and i even lifted more weight but the Good, thing was i job. could yeah but i could have stopped there i mean i could really have thought oh i'm old because i'm over 50 like and uh, this is not good for my body. Why yeah. on earth am I doing this? It's hurting my body. It's getting more pain. I was lucky that I had someone who knew what he was talking about. And probably he was laughing inside knowing that I was a pain doctor. And I didn't know anything about my own pain. It's very enigmatic, the pain thing, when it comes to yourself. You can talk a lot about it, but when uh, it actually affects you, it changes your mind. Doesn't yeah. it? One thing we know about exercise, we know that the benefits of staying active always outweighs not being active because mm. not being active, stopping moving only brings bad stuff in yeah. health. Then our mind is still lazy by nature. It, yeah. it is hard to start doing something regularly. I usually tell people that uh, they should try with what we call micro habits. You yeah. Don't start with going to the gym unless you really want to and think you can. But if you do only one sit up each day, your brain will finally after a week or so say that this is silly. I can make two. <laughs> uh, but if you do them, you do 365 per year, which you didn't do the last year. So if you just start something and that could be walking around your house or, or taking an exercise uh, together with your wife and dog or whatever, uh, start with something uh, because mm. then your brain starts adapting to, uh, well, this exercise thing or activity thing actually wasn't that bad. And after a while, you probably want to start doing the real exercise. Uh, but that's why I usually talk about being active and not doing exercise because mm. a lot of people get afraid of talking about exercise. Yeah. Uh, at least my patients. I don't know how what your patients say. It's a very easy word to use, but I think the word for a lot of people uh, comes with associations with aren't helpful at all times. So in some kind of conclusion, what are your thoughts about patients with pain and how healthcare and society sees upon them. Do you think that we're getting somewhere, that we're getting better in understanding this or are we still at the same point? Not much is happening. What are your thoughts? You're being young and not destroyed mm. by all old thoughts that we older doctors have. <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed to answer that because next year I'll ce celebrate 10 years as a clinician. It's a very short time. I've had the pri privilege of talking to people, yourself included, but a lot of people who's been working and, and seeing the field of pain longer than I've lived. I'll be better answering that question in 10 years of more. <laughs> but from what I hear and what I see, I see positive and hear positive things 
but that there's a lot of work to be done, I think, on all levels. Yeah. And I think it's still a lot in the narrative. Every time in a clinical encounter is a person brings with them the silent cultures. The two silent cultures is that pain is all about damage and pathology and need to get fixed quickly. Mm. It's two raging uh, cultures and cultures affect us. Most people don't even know this without even thinking about it. Of course, there's a problem in the tissues in my back and this is out of my control. You come to the medical society and the medical society has the model of diagnosing, treating and curing. We basically would be better off telling people we can't cure some problems. We can't cure all stress-related issues. We can't cure all mental illness. We can't cure all pain, but we can make sure suffering gets really, really less. It's a culture where you think you have a problem, you need help, you need help fast. At least nowadays, it looks like everything has to happen very fast. So you need help fast as well and you have to cure it and healthcare maybe can so it's uh, easy to get it done with uh, but as you say you can't cure everything it's a kind of culture thing get it fixed and do it fast yeah like someone said culture eats strategy for breakfast which oh, means yeah. that you can have the best strategy but if culture says something else you can't do much about it uh, I almost forgot uh, something, and that was that you and I actually talked in your pod. Yeah. That was how we met. If you want to hear something in Swedish, you can look up uh, Tyngre Rehab and see what I said there. But do you remember if you have any thoughts about our talk? Was it anything that you thought was interesting there? Uh, or should I just edit this question away? <laughs> That's the power of podcasting. I can edit anything I don't want to hear. You said a lot of interesting things, but I try to do the podcast for the listeners and not my own interests. And then I think important things that you talked about was just letting people know what seeing a pain doctor actually means. For example, setting some expectations right Uh, and you talked about that in your book, for example, also how you have chapters dedicated to persons seeking pain care to help them navigate. Hmm. Um, but also how hearing you resonate about pain, but that we'll leave that to let people listen to it. Uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll have you uh, back because there's I have some more questions for you. Oh yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, I remember I actually said that uh, I wrote in the book that if you are going to see your doctor about your pain, make sure to see him or her in the morning or right after lunch because that's when the energy is at the highest. And I was actually backing that up with a study from the U.S. where they looked at a court who was going to decide whether inmates in prison would get parole or not. Mm -hmm. And it was a very nice graph where you saw that the most uh, paroles were done in the beginning of the day or after lunch. So right before lunch, no one was giving their uh, freedom earlier and not at four o'clock uh, either. And that is because that's when you're tired and that's when your brain wants to do the easiest things. Yeah. And that is to just let things be like they are because otherwise you need to take energy to start thinking about things. 
It was published in a psychology journal, I think. And that is very natural for, for us as clinicians as well. We have less energy at the end of the day and it's easier to just write a prescription and not think deeper. So if you want to see a pain doctor or a, a GP for your pain, make that appointment at the beginning of the day or at one o'clock. <laughs> That's one yeah. of the tips in my book, for instance. It has been a pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm so happy every time I meet someone who is so engaged in, in the pain enigma we do have and, and to actually takes his or her own energy to help people. It has been a great, great pleasure. I wish you all the best at the back surgery clinic you're working with and of course with your pod and with your wonderful family hopefully we'll talk later on uh, unless i missed something and you thought that oh i should have said this no no not at all and likewise cousin uh, it's uh, thank you for having me it's been a, it's been a pleasure mm, thank you bye bye